in the chaos, in the confusion, in the noise, in the distractions, in the pain. May Jesus speak. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This week, we have been blessed. We have been blessed with mourning. We have been blessed with humility. We have been blessed with seeking justice. We have been blessed with seeing people persecuted for doing what is right. This week we have seen two kingdoms at war. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of this earth. And what I think I need to embrace and maybe you do is I need to begin to to change and transform my definition for blessed. Because time and time again, Jesus is saying, God blesses, God blesses, you are blessed when, and so often I think in my brain, being blessed means that's everything's going good, everything's great, happy, happy, you're blessed. But it seems that, that what Jesus is saying is within the kingdom of God, like it's, it's, it's when you're mourning or when you're seeking justice or when you're being persecuted for doing right or when you're humbling yourself. These things that may not seem like great things you would do like on a birthday celebration kind of day is when you're actually seeing God's presence and God's blessing upon you because what you're doing is actually ushering in and actually welcoming in the kingdom of God. And it's kind of funny to me that, that we've come to see our participation in citizenship, in ambassadorship of the kingdom of God to be something that, that just looks like things that are happy all the time when the kingdom was actually ushered in by a revolutionary that did all these things and was murdered for it. And for us to think that as we join him to fight for humility and peace and justice, in unity, that, that that wouldn't be what we would experience. I've had some great conversations this week 
And the good news in all the conversations I've had is, is realizing that the words of Jesus that I just read were not spoken in a vacuum. They were not spoken in, in, in a culture that didn't know strife, that didn't know injustice, that didn't know slavery, that didn't know oppression. Is Jesus is speaking these words into a culture that looks very much and could relate very much to where we are right now today in our country. And they apply much the same. But it has been interesting to me as I've sat down this week and had a chance to talk to black friends, a chance to talk to white friends. Many of the emotions are the same, but different. Fear, anger, confusion, hope, hopelessness, uncertainty, all mixed together. In a sense that it's like, man, I just feel like we really need some, some leadership. Like I wish there would be people that could lead in this and we're looking for a voice of leadership. And, and, and I'm just going to be honest, for me, like I'm kind of giving up on leadership from anywhere near like any political party either way. And I'm kind of giving up on some, some of the, the other places we may look for leadership. And what I realized this week is like we, we actually have a leader and he's the actual greatest revolutionary that the world has ever known. And his name is Jesus, right? And what I would love, and I think maybe what Jesus is giving his church the opportunity to do is you have been delinquent on your mission. And I'm giving you an opportunity to stop letting other people lead for peace and for justice and for mercy and for humility and for transformation. I'm actually allowing you, my children, the kingdom of God to actually happen if you're willing to step into the mission. And here's the thing that I've had to, to, to get my mind around this week is I've actually, I've got to go back and discover the real Jesus in his fullness. Because I think what's happened a little too much for us in America is we've enjoyed the, 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 the narrative of Jesus being my personal savior, right? We, we like that. Right? And it makes sense when we're kind of doing evangelism. We want people to understand that, that God is for you, not against you, and he's near you, not far from you, and he did actually die to bring you personal salvation. But then what happens, I think, so often is the gospel becomes this. We simplify to this. Oh, my goodness, it's such good news. I don't have to go to hell. Good news. It's good news. I don't want to go to hell. Anybody want to go to hell? Not me. So... That is gospel. Gospel means good news. Good news, Jesus died so I don't have to go to hell. And what's happened all too often and for way too many years is we stop and receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, and we miss the fact that the good news isn't that I just don't go to hell. The good news is the kingdom of God is here now, and everyone can enter into it. And the opportunity is to join Jesus and then let other people know there is a kingdom of mercy and justice and humility and faith and hope and love that, that everyone can be a part of. Every tongue and every tribe and every country and everywhere in the world, we are here to represent the message of the revolutionary, revolutionary of love of Jesus that this is available. 
and you get to personally participate. But if Jesus is just your little nice trinket, personal Lord and Savior, you've made him much smaller than he is. Jesus says the time has come, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. All the preliminaries have been taken care of and the rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. And this mission is huge. The concept is amazing. And the problems we currently face seem overwhelming. And so as I knew I had the opportunity, the privilege to speak this morning, I was like, how can I boil this down in something that someone as not bright as I could understand what I could do? Because that's been the, the, the tenor of conversation around me this week. It's like, I don't know what to do. What should I do? What should I do? So I'm just going to give us a very, very simple thing that I think you can maybe have. It's a handle you can grab, and you can make progress this week in seeing the kingdom of God come into your life and into the lives of those around you. It breaks down to this. Listen, learn, love. Listen, learn, love. Super simple. Super, super simple. That's where we're going to go today and, and see if God... Uh, will be super gracious and help us learn. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that you are the most amazing revolutionary in the world. And I pray that we would follow you into a revolution of love that would see your kingdom come and your will be done in our church, in our city, in our country, and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Mercy Road. If it's your first time, my name is Pastor Darren. I speak here every once in a while. It's a joy to be a part of the community. Thanks for everybody that's online. God bless you guys. Uh, my family's online. What's up, guys? Thank you for watching this morning. Um, Mercy Road, um, we actually believe that, that nobody and no country is ever too far gone to experience life change through Jesus. And we want to be a part of that revolution. So welcome to Mercy Road. So stoked that you guys are here. Um, listen, let's start there. Uh, have you noticed that it's difficult to listen when you're talking? If you're married or, or, or you have kids or just a good friend that you sometimes go head to head with, it's really, really difficult to listen while you talk. I've also realized it is, I think, actually impossible to listen if you're actually constructing your response why the other person is talking right and this is what we do this is why we have massive conflict in marriage because the other person is speaking and the moment you hear the point you disagree with you are no longer listening you are now constructing your great argument that's going to deconstruct and just go after everything that they've said and it goes back and forth and then we destroy each other it's what we're doing as a culture as well when I teach couples how to try to, to stay married, uh, when I get a chance to do that, I teach them this, the skill of active listening. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's very simple. Here's how it works. Someone speaks and you listen. And then to prove that you are listening, you say, here's what I just heard you say. And then you say what they just said. And if you listened correctly and heard correctly, they say, yes, that's what I said. And then you go, thank you. And then you say, is there more? This is how someone feels listened to and heard. And healing begins with listening. You want to change your marriage? Then the acts that you have to grind about all the ways that they're the worst person in the world and how could they ever be them and why would you marry them in the first place? Whatever the conversation is and however much truth you may have in that point, if you would just begin by going, let me listen to what you have to say and then repeat back what they say and then thank them for what they've said and then ask them if there's more. 
Can you imagine what would begin to happen in our culture if we were able to sit down across the table from people that we don't understand, people that we don't see their perspective, their belief, their thought, their political persuasion, their sexual persuasion, this color of their skin is different than ours. And we would say, I just want to listen. So what I'm hearing you say is this and this and this. Did I hear you right? Yes, you heard me right. Is there more? Because I've been on Facebook this week, and I'm kind of getting tired of stupid people. Um, I won't completely define what stupid people are. Yes, I will. Um, I'm not the pastor of this church, and so you, I suppose you could still get mad and not come to the church. But, uh, Josh, I will try to not cause you too many problems this morning. Um, here's what stupid people look like, in my opinion. They're actually ignorant. You see, in our state, it's 83.59% white. It's 9.3% black or African American, and it's 2.45% two or more races. I grew up in Arizona, moved here. I see the difference of, of culture. My wife grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. When we visit there, I see the different integration of multicultural nature of, and here's what I find in Indiana, is most white people in Indiana uh, don't have great black friends that they talk to all the time. One of the struggles, unfortunately, is mathematically, I don't know if it's exactly mathematically impossible, it would be almost mathematically impossible for 83% of the white people to have a good friend with a black friend if there's only 9% black people. That's a problem. And here's how ignorance becomes stupidity. Is it's absolutely ignorant and then stupid of you and then arrogant of you to get on Facebook and give all your opinions about black people, black culture, black issues if you've never had a great long-standing friendship with a black person. If you've lived in a town where there aren't a lot of black people, guess what? You don't know. So with all the love of Jesus, I say, shut up. And listen. So what I'm hearing you say is this. That's very different than what I've learned and the perspective I've had because I'm ignorant of this issue. So is this what you're saying? Okay, I'm hearing that. Is there more? I'd like to listen. The same thing applies to Jesus. Can you imagine if you read the Bible in the same exact way over the next Two, two months or whatever it is, we're going to go through this Some Good News series. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon Jesus ever preached. In fact, it's the only like full sermon we have of Jesus. So there's probably some really good stuff in this sermon. What if we read it over the next two months and you read the words and you said, Jesus, what I'm hearing you say is, and then say back what you just heard Jesus say, and then you say, Holy Spirit, is there more? And see what we might begin to learn. Because that's the next step, is learning. In just a minute here, I'm going to invite James and Shalana Cheatham up, that we can listen and learn together. We're not going to have that long for a conversation, so I believe maybe Tuesday night we're going to record a longer, probably hour-long or so Zoom conversation with us so that we can listen to each other and learn. Because let me tell you what James and Shalanda and any other African-American uh, part of the body of, of, of Christ, of our church, what they don't need the 83% of them asking them to educate us on racism and racial inequality over the next two months. James would love for you to buy him lunch. We've already cleared that, but 
how about this? Just give them a gift card, okay? And then do your own job. If you're a follower of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven, you need to listen. Here's the beautiful thing. There are shelves upon shelves upon shelves of books that can educate you. There are websites upon websites upon websites of blogs that can educate you. There are apps upon apps upon apps full of podcasts that can educate you. There are Netflix upon Netflix upon Netflix of documentaries that can educate you. Start listening so you can learn so we can love like Jesus. You know, it's, I was going to say sad, but it's not. It's disgusting. I was just talking to a friend between services, and James and Shalonda are going to get up here, and we're going to get to talk and, and hear, right, hear black experience in our life. And if you're a white person, you may go, you know what? Well, here's my question. Here's the question I had. I was talking to a friend of mine. We both grew up in predominantly white churches. I'm 42 years old. I've gone to church since I was a week old. He has too. I said, have you ever been in church and heard the conversation we're having this morning? You know what we both said? No. The hit... The history of our country, I've gone to church for 42 years, and not once in my memory can I remember a predominantly white church having a conversation about racial oppression and what we could do to love our black brothers and sisters. 42 years? Well, we talked about drinking and smoking. Because, you know, drinking and smoking, that, Jesus talked about that all the time. We talked about rated R movies. Right? And no dancing. That's how I grew up in church. You're not going to smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls that do, and you're surely not going to dance, because, you know, when you start dancing, well, that's what happens. We were very moral white people, and nobody thought maybe we should stop and take a look at the evil of racism and start to listen and learn. Maybe you went to just a woke church, and you're like, oh, all the time, Darren. I'm going to go out on a real far limb for us white folks. You didn't. I hope this is irritating you. I hope you're getting sad right now. I hope this bothers you all week and the Holy Spirit keeps going. Yes, this is what repentance looks like. You realize that you're wrong. And then you move to fix it. Let me stop being angry. It's not, I'm not angry. I was praying over that. I said, God, don't let me be angry. Help me to be passionate and compassionate and have your emotions. Because we have to learn from Jesus, and we're never going to learn from Jesus if we don't think that Jesus is the smartest person that ever lived. And I don't think we do. When you get in trouble in life, who's the first person you want to call and talk to and, and, and you think, this is the guy that's going to help me? I'm guessing if we're in Sunday school, we're going to say, well, it's Jesus. But it usually isn't. A lot of times we think, well, I mean, the Bible's cool and all, but, I mean, it can't really inform what I need right now. I mean, it was a really long time ago where we've way progressed past some of that Bible stuff, right? 
No, we haven't progressed past it at all. In fact, why would you progress past the creator of the universe who came and walked among us to teach us how to live life as a human being when he has given us words to teach us that? We never progress past that. We always go back to that. And we say, who is the greatest, most smart, brilliant teacher on every issue of life? The answer is Jesus. And we need to start teaching and treating him, teaching ourselves and, and treating him that way. We're going to encourage you guys to read The Divine Conspiracy. We have, we're, uh, I, I don't know if I have it up. Yes. This, this is a book called The Divine Conspiracy written by a brilliant man named Dallas Willard. And it goes through and unpacks the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go through it, the whole Sermon on the Mount, over the next, I don't know, six, eight weeks. I don't know how long the sermon series is. This is a participant's guide. It's a little smaller. The Divine Conspiracy is about ten times thicker than this. It's a brilliant book. It'll change your life. You'll never, under, you'll never look at the Sermon on the Mount again the same way. I challenge you to read it. If you want to just get the participants by, these are 10 bucks. You can have one. It'll help you gain more out of the next uh, couple months that we're going to be together. Highly, highly suggest that you can get it on your way out today. But Dallas, we're talking about us, our need to understand the brilliance of Jesus as this. Our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. It's not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we do not believe them to be competent. We cannot pray for his help and rely on his collaboration in dealing with real life matters we suspect might defeat his knowledge or abilities. And, we, and can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best, most informed, and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? That is exactly how his earliest apprentices in kingdom living thought of him. We're going to walk together as a community over the next month or so over Jesus' one sermon we're going to have an opportunity to learn from God himself, the greatest teacher, the smartest person that ever lived. And my challenge is that we would listen and learn together and see if we don't love more like him when it's done. I want you to welcome James and Shalonda Cheatham to the platform today. Shalonda is our children's pastor here at Mercy Road with Mercy Kids. Uh, phenomenal woman of God. James Cheatham leads worship with us. Uh, we've been in a spiritual DNA group with me. Their son, Isaiah, has worked with our ministry, doing video work for us all year. Uh, phenomenal talent. You guys got a ton of other kids. I don't know all their names. I probably <laughs> should figure it out. Um, Shalanda, we, 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 we had this conversation this week. I said we're going to record this Zoom interview this week to expand it. Um, I have viewed and experienced this week in, in, the, in, in the past two weeks or so through the eyes, the ears, and the heart of of a white person, and I, I have been enlightened and educated in ways that are well overdue. This conversation, this pain, this is not new to you and James right. as, as black Americans. Take us there. Yes. So over this week, um, we really feel seen all across the United States and in other countries where people are standing up in support of trying to fight against injustice. We feel seen and we do feel heard. But my thing is that many of us would tire out and go back to your normal course of living and we still wake up black. We still wake up facing these injustices. We still wake up facing the hurt, facing the pain of just normal everyday living. 
just by walking on the sidewalk and experience down the street. Those are things that we can't turn off, but it's something that you guys are empowered to do and can do something about it and continue to speak up and to continue to rise up and use your voice. Shalana, some people would like to believe like, well, once you get educated to a point or you have a high profile job, you don't experience some of this anymore. You, you've been a nurse, I mean, going after your master's degree. I mean, you, you've, done, you've done that. You've been there, you've done that. Mm -hmm. and, and that has not been your experience. That has not been the case. There are times where, um, several times where you experience a lot of racism. But you know what? It's like knowing that I have the word of God that I can depend on and knowing that I shield myself and my heart from a lot of the things that, like, like the video, I haven't watched it because I have to shield myself from that so that I can love from a pure heart, so that I can be a servant of Jesus Christ. So as I serve my patients, no matter what they are, if they're racist or not, I can serve them wholeheartedly and do my very, very best. And so I've taken care of patients that have looked me dead in the eye and asked me if I was for sale. I've taken care of patients who had tattoos on their neck that said, die with the N-word. I've taken care of patients who have had Confederate blankets on them saying, don't be offended, this is just my history. Painful experiences. But knowing I'm like, I just, Lord, give me everything that I need. Bring back to my knowledge everything that I need to know in order to serve your people well. Because what it is is a sin condition. It's a heart condition and there's no one that could do anything about it except for Jesus. So we have to be the light of his world, right? And we just love and we continue to do our work and do it well. Shalane, I want to hit, I want to hear your, your, your heart as a mother. Mm -hmm. You're raising wonderful kids. I've had the joy of getting to know Isaiah this year. Amazingly talented kid. And um, this year, Isaiah was doing video work for us uh, with, our, with our radio show. And Isaiah doesn't have his license. And I would give him a hard time all this year. I say, dude, you're 18. Like, go get your license, dude. It's so fun to drive. Like, come on. Like, and I, I'd take him home sometimes, didn't mind, but I was like taking him home, like, bro, like, dude, you're 18. Like, get your license. You need any help? What's the deal? And the whole time, this conversation of me giving him a hard time, I'm viewing through my white eyes and my white experience. And we sat down this week and you shared from a mother's heart, why Isaiah doesn't have his license yet. Yes. Take us into the heart of a mother yes. here. So Isaiah doesn't have his license because of me, because I fear for his life. It is scary just to know that he can be walking down the street and be executed on the spot. I want my son to come home. So I said, hey, you don't have to worry about that. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just take you. We'll just take you, you know, we'll make sure that you have a way. You don't, you don't need that right now. And really, it was just to shield him from hurt and from pain of not knowing whether or not my son was going to return home. You see, he was young when Trayvon Martin, you know, was killed and executed just by minding his own business, walking home from a store. And we participated in those marches. And we see the other video footages all across the world, and we see that, and we experience it. You know, I had three... Um, 
I'm sorry, one police officer pulled me over three times, three different occasions for things that were silly. One time it was like, hey, I just pulled you over because I wanted to know if, if you knew the guy that I just pulled over. He was black. What? <laughs> you know? So it's like, so that fear just like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen to my son if he's driving? What's going to happen to him? Because at what age does he become super cute to now he's perceived as a threat because he's black? That's so hurtful. And, you know, he did have an experience in Fishers, because we live in Fishers, Indiana, where he was profiled. He was, at, he was 14 at the time, walking down the street, just minding his business, getting his exercise, being human, right? You just think it's a normal, everyday activity. But he was pulled over, and he's questioned him because he fit, this fit the description. Is your name Calvin? No, my name's Isaiah, sir. He's respectful because we taught him to respect everyone. We teach all of our children to respect everyone. But then me as a mother had felt like I needed to be proactive to keep my child safe. So when I found out that there was a police academy for Fishers, I enrolled him twice because I wanted him to know, guess what? Not all officers are out to do or cause harm or to cause ill but also so you can know my son. I knew that he would be exposed to a lot of different officers, and I needed you to, him to know, know, them to know that my son is not a threat. He's a really good kid. But you'll never know that if you don't have an interaction with him. You'll never know that if you don't have a conversation with him and to experience life with him. And so he did, and he enjoyed the program. He loved it so much. But, you know, it's like we have to go through those types of steps in order to bring some type of reconciliation and community building to know, hey, we're just people just like you. Yeah. Shalana, what I love about that is as we're talking about the simple steps of listen, learn, right, is you guys as a family were proactive. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, Isaiah, we're going to go. You're going to listen. You're going to learn. They're going to listen. They're going to learn. And so it, 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 it's on all of us as the opportunity in, in, in the different places that, that it, that it strikes, strikes our life. And James, we talked about this week as well, that, that this, is, this experience this week, this life is different for you as a black man than it is even for Shalanda as a black woman. Mm -hmm. So unpack a little bit of that for us. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, especially just, you know, with, with this week, something happened to where there was no, we could no longer ignore it with George Floyd. And as horrible as that was, and it was horrible, it was hard to watch. And everything in me wanted to turn away instead of watching a man as he's slowly dying. Yeah, that was horrible, but I think I could speak for every black man out there. It was also terrifying. To all our lives, we're taught what to do when you get pulled over by a police officer. You always keep your hands on the steering wheel. Everything's yes, sir, no, sir. You're looking them in the eyes. You're not making, do not make any sudden moves whatsoever. And my dad even told me, don't go about proclaiming your rights. Even if he is in the wrong, you did absolutely nothing. Do not proclaim your rights. You just get home. Get home alive and we'll deal with the rest later. Well, watching that, and 
a man who did nothing worthy of death, to find him suddenly dead, it made me realize I can do everything perfect. But if someone sees that I should die, and that's where the anger came from. Some of you don't understand that anger. That when you see that over and over and over again, you, feel, you start to feel like people that look like you are being hunted down. It makes you terrified. It makes you angry. So that's what really changed. That's the thing that it really just startled me. It, it terrified me that, yeah. James, you, you said last service about, I just want you to share that how the, this is always a part of your thinking. We talked about that your, your neighbor's car alarm. Tell, tell, tell that. Oh, yeah. Um, so with that, when that happened, um, shortly afterward, um, it was like, actually, it might have been just the next day. And the, my neighbor's car alarm was just going off, right? And it, but it sounded like somebody was honking the horn. Either way, my daughter comes running into the family room, and she's like, Dad, your car alarm's going off. And so I got up and I went outside and, no, it's not my car alarm, it's the neighbor's car. But it sounded like someone was honking the horn. It didn't sound like a, like a, a car alarm, it sounded like someone was honking the horn, actually. Like, uh, 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 you know. And so at first I started to walk over there because she, it, it kind of had tinted windows. So I started to walk over and, and, and go find out and make sure everything's okay. And as I got about halfway there, I stopped in my tracks and realized I better not do that because the moment that I go in to investigate what's going on, make sure everything's okay, and I'm looking in their window, and somebody sees me looking into a car window, they think now I'm thinking about breaking in. They're not thinking I'm there to help. But that's, and that is what, and maybe none of that is true. But I have no way of knowing I have to do whatever I have to do to protect myself. And looking in that car window, even though it may mean saving someone's life, if, it's, if that's not the case, I could be putting my own self in danger because it's what someone else perceived. In fact, a neighbor, I didn't say this last time, a neighbor jumped in his truck and came by to check on me to make sure I wasn't up to something. He got out. And I mean, a big burly dude and got out. And then he went and talked to another neighbor. He's like, oh, no, he's fine. He's good. He's a good guy. But that is our reality. We cannot escape it. You know, James, like we said, th th this is literally baby step one. Like, listen, learn. And you hear it and you're affected and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, keep listening and keep learning. And then here's the beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit is actually our teacher. He's our advocate. That's right and begin asking God, what, what is it that you're asking me to do? And the answer may be more risky than you want to embrace. Like, are you willing to say something to friends? Are you willing to lose friendships? Are you willing to risk reputation or life to actually say, you know what, no, I, I, I'm here seeking justice, unity. I, I'm seeing the kingdom come for all people and so, James, you had a friend, a moment that, that, that marked and changed your life, where a white friend said, you know what, I will ask, actually risk my life for you. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I was in Israel um, visiting a friend that lived there doing missionary work. Um, and so his father and I, we went over to Israel to see him. 
uh, spent a couple of weeks up there. Um, and at the time we were in uh, near the Dead Sea area and we were on our way north up to uh, Galilee. And um, on our way there, we came past a checkpoint. And at that checkpoint, there were soldiers walking around uh, with guns bigger than I've ever seen in my life. Uh, to see that was terrifying enough. But um, suddenly this soldier approached the car. He asked my friend a couple of questions. Okay, you're good. And uh, he went uh, to the back seat where my friend's dad was sitting, asked him a couple of questions. They're good. Um, and they, again, these were white, guy, white people who had basically raised me as well. Um, and they were Jewish, um, so whatever. Then the soldier came uh, to my side, and he began to grill me with questions that was impossible for me to answer, things I could not have possibly known. And he was just grilling me, grilling me, and the whole time now I'm really shaking, like literally shaking. I'm extremely nervous. I've been thrown in the back of uh, squad cars without reason, simply because I fit the description. That was terrifying, but this, this was on a whole nother level. And I knew that at that moment, if I make a sudden move, if I do the wrong thing, my life could be snuffed out in that moment. And so he asked me something else, and then he said something in Hebrew. He was going around to the back of the car, to the back of the car and my friend stopped him. And he began to speak to this soldier in, in Hebrew, and they were going back and forth. And all, all I understood was the, the soldier saying, no, no, no. And then finally, after, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds, I don't know, the soldier said, ah, go, 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 go. And we began to drive off. My heart's beating outside my chest. I feared for my life. But I looked over and I saw my friend crying his eyes out. And I asked him, I said, man, what happened? And he said, well, he was getting ready to go back to the car and, and he's going to pull all of your luggage out. He's going to go through everything. And I stopped him. And I asked him, why are you doing this? And the soldier said, well, this is just standard procedure. And my friend said, no, it's not. You know that this man is from America. You know that the man that's sitting in the back seat, you know he's from America. You know that I have my daughter in this car, so you know that I'm not carrying a terrorist. You're not doing routine. He said, you're doing this because he's black. And then he just began to cry again. It's like, I'm so sick and tired of this. I can't take this. My friend could have decided, you know what? Yeah, that just happens. James, get over it. Enjoy the rest of the trip. He could have chose to ignore it and say, ah, you know, whatever. This, this, and because over, when it, when it's, when over racism is one thing, but when it's sort of covered up, it's easy to ignore. He could have been, he could have made it so convenient for himself and just ignored the whole thing and just moved on. But he put his life on the line. And I'm going to say it. He used his white privilege to save me. And Darren, I just want to say this. This isn't black versus white. This isn't black lives matter versus blue lives matter. And in fact, Mercy Road may not agree with me, Darren, even my wife, but I think 
that that is a demonically influenced way to see it. What we have is a human race problem. And systemic racism does exist. Whether it's convenient to, to ignore it or whether you're living it every day, it exists. And God has called the church to lead. Why? Because he's given us the tools. We have his Holy Spirit. We are carriers of the Holy Spirit. And that gives us a capacity to love and to work in reconciliation like no one else in this world. It shouldn't be Hollywood or liberals or LeBron James leading this. It's those who God has given his spirit. James. Mm. I love it, and, and there's more we want to get to, and we're going to, as we do an interview this week, and we'll release that on, on Mercy Road Facebook, and I'll throw it on my YouTube channel, and uh, we're going to dive in, in, in deeper to what, what you guys are sharing, and, and so we can learn, we can listen together. Um, I love you guys, and we talked this week, and uh, one thing that, this is a teaser that I want to talk about uh, this week, is, is the way you guys have actively, actively guarded your heart from hardness and from from anger and pain taking over and how you cling to the word of God and as you, how you cling to times of worship because you know you're going to battle against those demonic forces and we need to learn that. We need to embrace that as a community and um, we love you guys. You're a gift. You're a part of our family. So thank you guys so much. Let's celebrate them this morning, guys.